media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 12.2. We're going to be in several different places because we want to look at the fullness of the Word of God this morning and how that applies uh, when we get into the Advent season, sometimes we, um, uh, we're still going from the Word, and we're, uh, the text will be our Word, but it's not the uh, expository preaching like when we go through an entire book. And so uh, we are going to be looking at three different passages, four different passages this morning, to see that connection that the Bible brings on this matter called joy. If you were not here last week, let me qu- quickly kind of catch you up in 30 seconds to the basis of kind of uh, where we started, and that was... How, uh, what is biblical joy? Um, we looked last week and we said that there was two main descriptors that were given to New Testament Christians. This wasn't just words that we made up. This is how the Bible describes New Testament Christians. And number one, that they are in Christ. It is their position. And so they are identified by who they are now in, Jesus Christ. And so that was the number one descriptor. And then there was this possession that they had. And that was joy. We'll see that in the words joy and rejoicing. Used uh, Paul used it like 172 times, just those two words. And kind of from that same Greek root. And so last week we kind of left with this thought process, okay, is that characteristic of us? Do we really have biblical joy? And what a challenge it is sometimes, because I asked the question last week, and I asked, you know, when it comes to joy and happiness, and we see the distinction of those two, how many of us kind of lean in toward happiness on a pretty regular basis? And I saw your eyes, and I saw a lot of you nod, and a lot of you said, yeah, what a temptation it is to just kind of have a life without a lot of problems and, and kind of take that road that is less challenging, but maybe is not the road that God would want us to go on. So the human dilemma that we have. And so this morning we begin to see uh, the, the second part of that sermon last week was not only who and how the Bible describes us, but also what joy is. We, we try to define joy. And there's not going to be a verse in the Bible that says joy is this. There are other places in the Bible that says faith is this, and, but there's not really a place that says joy is this. And so we kind of, kind of grounded it in scripture. And the, uh, the one that I gave you is that joy is rooted in God's purpose and his provision. And we really see that in Hebrews 12 too. I think it's the ultimate example to me of really where we see joy, biblical joy defined. So let's start back where we ended last week, Hebrews 12 too, because it talks about Christ. And it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and then seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we ended the sermon last week by saying, do you have this joy? The joy that values tough times, if that just happens to be God's purpose, and then you're trusting in God's provision. And I realized that we have this human dilemma, and so this morning we're going to go, is joy really a choice? Is it something that happens automatically, that when you become a Christian you just have biblical joy? Or is it something that we, on a regular basis, if not on a daily basis, maybe even on an hourly basis, do we have to choose joy? Okay, if we answer that, are we going to have a biblical answer or are we just going to have people's opinion? 
And I hope that this morning as we uh, go through the Word of God that we will have a biblical answer to that. Because right there, Hebrews 12, 2, did Jesus make a choice for joy? Would you say that based on that scripture right there, looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? Well, when we begin to look at the scripture, we, we do know, because we know a little bit of the backstory, that there was a time that Christ, right before he goes to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we see the real human challenge there. He is fully God, but he's fully human. And we actually see these words recorded by Mark. We covered them a couple months ago when we were going verse by verse through Mark. And in Mark 14, verse 35 and 36, these are the words of Christ. This isn't just kind of, you know, our opinion, maybe what was going on in his head. We're not just saying, you know, I bet he kind of faced this. This is the scripture that describes what Christ was going through and what he said himself. Mark chapter 14, verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Let me stop right there and remind us that every place that we saw in Mark, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Okay, this isn't a guy who's wondering about, okay, I think I'm just going to escape out the back door. I think I'm going to change my mind. He has set his face toward Jerusalem. He is determined with a laser focus to do all that the Father has called. And yet in his humanity, we do see that when he comes down and it's just hours before the cross, we see this wrath of God, this cup that he's going to drink from, and and he's never been apart from the Father. He's always walked just together with the Father, and yet he knows that if he takes on all of our sins and the sins that cause God's judgment and wrath, that there will be a separation, that there will be a price. See, that is our hope that justice really is done. And Christ saw that justice was was done. And and yet, look at his words, verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, this intimacy that he has with the Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. I don't know what else we would make of that statement, but that there's a part of his humanity, there's a part of him that says, Not that I'm afraid of it. Oh, this is really going to hurt. I don't think these are the things. It's the wrath of God, God's judgment on sin. Remove this from me. But what was the last part? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Is joy, biblical joy, is it a choice? Is it something that automatically just happens in our heart because... Jesus resides there and now we're blessed and and filled with the the Spirit of God? Or is it something that we really really have to regularly kind of tune our mind and and set our face toward the purposes of God for our own life? I think as we go through this morning that we will see that uh, it is a choice. It's a choice and at times it can be a very challenging choice. Now in one way you might think if joy is a choice... And if it's the right choice, if this is what God wants us to do, then it should be an easy choice. Now think about that. Can we make that assumption that just because God says something is the right choice, that it becomes an easy choice? Does the rightness of a choice equal the ease of that choice? And all God's people said, no. Because in one way, we know the answer. I mean, we're, we're like the first grade boy that, you know, the, the teacher asked the question in Sunday school and he says, Jesus, 
And she had asked some other questions. He said, Jesus, that's not really the answer. He said, no, Jesus is always the answer. No. I mean, we know what the right answer is. If, you, if you've been in the Word of God, if you're assembling together, if you've been walking with Christ, we know that this is the right choice to choose joy. But let's not assume for a moment that it is a easy choice. As far as I can tell, the right choice is not always the easy choice. I mean, has that been your experience as a Christian? That God has declared something as the right choice, but you've discovered that it's not the easy one. I'll go to my go-to. This is the example that I give almost all the time. Forgiveness. Why? Because that is one of the most challenging to our minds and our hearts, to forgive. It's one thing to forgive if somebody comes up, Ricky, I do something to you and it offends you, and I come up and I apologize, I repent of my sin, and I say, it will never happen again. You can say, I forgive you, Bobby. But how many times does it happen in our lives, especially with our families, that maybe God has called us, as he has, to forgive, because he has set a standard. He said, forgive as you have been forgiven. Well, my goodness, if that's the standard, I know now what the right choice is. But have you ever had somebody that the moment you humbled yourself and you were going to go and and you were going to forgive them and they had an attitude? Kind of like, well, it's about time you figured out that you were wrong. And you really weren't wrong. And everything within your humanity, not your Christianity, but everything within your humanity says... Well, then that's off. Forget what I was going to say. Just because it's the right choice, just because it's the biblical choice, doesn't mean that it's an easy choice. Why? Because we fight so oftentimes our own flesh and our own nature. And that's what makes choosing joy kind of challenging and difficult. Because biblical joy is often associated with difficulties and challenges. Let's go back to Hebrews 12, 2. And what word do you see in that verse that is has the connotation of difficulty and challenge? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Well, what word there is not really a positive word? To endure. Usually when we talk about enduring something, are we talking about, man, we endured Disney for five days, you know? Man, we adored, we endured that, you know, World Series game or something. We're not talking about things that are positive. Usually we're talking about sickness or trial. We're talking about things that are matters of the heart or the mind. And we're talking about enduring in the face of a great wind blowing against us. Obstacles, challenges. And, and yet, look at the connection, guys. For joy. For joy. Christ endured the cross. There was an enduring on the cross. And yet he's connected it with this biblical joy. We don't usually see the word endure as a positive sense. We see it in that negative sense. And yet here we see that even though it was painful, even though it is costly, in the end it was joyful. And he set his mind and he set his face toward Jerusalem and the will of God. The question comes down, do we do that in our lives? I say that not to cause guilt, for us to ponder. If it's the right choice, even though it's not an easy choice, why would we choose to go that way? Because we would begin to see the biblical value of God's way. 
So here's the question. And it's a hard question. Do you value joy? Do you value joy? Is there a place? Because value means that we, we see that of, of its importance. We see that it really is the best way. And so when we value something, we're going, okay, yeah, I value it, and that's why I pursue it. Christ valued you and me. He valued the Father's will, and so he endured the cross with joy. And that's the challenge. See, it seems like biblical joy is also uh, pretty painful. It's one of those things, when we look in the Scripture and we begin to look at this word joy and how it's used, we do see that it's mixed with challenged and with difficulty. In fact, go to John's Gospel, John chapter 16. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory of this. Uh, this is where Christ has gone. He's gone to the disciples. He's told them that he's going away and then he'll be away from them, but for them not to worry, but he will be back. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. And so all they can imagine in their mind is they hear these words that Christ is going to go in this path. Even though he had said it many, many times before, they cannot imagine. They're just, I mean, they can't imagine of this being a good thing. They're ready for Christ to set up an earthly kingdom and for the Jewish people to kind of come into their old ways of being just these elite people of God. And yet... Jesus repeatedly said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so he goes and he tells them, okay, he knows that he's about to be arrested. He knows he's going to go to the cross. And so he tells them, I'm, I'm going to be away from you. That's the first part of John 16. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What does he mean? The world would think that it got its way. They got rid of this scandal of Jesus Christ, this one who said that he was the Messiah. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. What has Christ just done? He said, joy, (laughs) even if that's the end result, it's not always the road that we travel. What does he mix it with there? Sorrow. You're going to experience sorrow, but the end result is joy. Why? Because he knew that he would rise from the dead. Something that they just couldn't kind of comprehend. And so they couldn't see the joy. Can you imagine if you were one of the disciples or just a follower of Christ at that time? And you had all these dreams and you were following Christ for for weeks, if not months, if not three years. And you now see this Messiah on a cross. I mean, the human side of us, we really do get, at least I really get where the disciples are. Here's what we had in mind. Even though you told us repeatedly, this is what you had in mind. And yet we cannot conceive how victory can come from your death. Inconceivable. Doesn't seem like the right road. Certainly doesn't seem like the right choice. And yet Christ repeatedly, this is the right choice. You're going to experience sorrow. (laughs) Your dreams are going to be broken. But I'm telling you, eventually you will have joy. Look at verse 21. He gives this illustration. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into a world. Do you get that? Especially the ladies who have given birth. I've only been there twice. 
And I can say that my wife was not joyous during the actual birthing of the child. But I can tell you she was overjoyed afterwards. Do you see the illustration that, that Christ has given? He's teaching us, not really in, in a parable, but in a truth, in an illustration there, that joy is not always the immediate response, but that it's where we end up. But that's what makes choice uh, the choice of joy kind of hard. Because we don't want the sorrow. We, we don't want the pain. We, want, we don't want the enduring part that until we get there. Would it be good if God gave you a timetable of how long you had to endure? I mean, at least you could get on the calendar. Okay, we're going to start right here, and you're going to endure and endure and endure, and then joy is going to come right now. I mean, remember the last year of college, or the last year of school, and it's like, okay, I can count them down, and you're just crossing them off. And especially it's something you've worked really, really hard for. Unless you graduated the other day. You worked really, really hard. Were you anticipating the joy when you got that diploma the other day? Was there some sorrow before that? Yeah. <laughs> so this is a relevant illustration. This is a real illustration that joy is there. It's coming. And yet it's not immediate. And so the question comes back, do you choose joy? I would say that the Bible is giving us a, a very good indication that we do. And now we personalize that. Do we choose joy? Or just the obstacle of the sorrow, this enduring of complication get in the way? The actual Greek word there that we begin to see that God begins to use uh, is a word... I'm sorry, let's turn over to... <laughs> I just skipped a whole page there. And that's based on 40 hours of not sleeping. Ah. I somehow I'll, I'll get there. I usually don't go by my notes, but when I'm really tired, I have to a little bit. Uh, go to James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. In the ESV, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And when you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when you look at James chapter 1, verse 2, how many of you in your translation have the word count? Like the ESV. How many of you have the word consider? Okay, about half and half. Uh, this is where I, I really do prefer um, the Christian Holman translation, uh, the NIV, uh, the NASB, uses the word consider. And I really do think that it's more of an accurate um, account of what this word is, what he's calling us to do. The word count is not wrong, but I think that the more appropriate in the application is the word consider. Now, follow me on this, okay? The actual word is hegalmach. And what it is, is basically that word means that it's a, a leading to, a leading your mind, pointing yourself in a direction of reasoning through a process. Okay? It means you're thinking, but you're thinking with an end in mind. 
When he says count or consider it all joy, he's kind of setting us, us up to say this is a choice. In the same way that Jesus turned and faced Jerusalem and then went like laser vision toward the purposes of God, James is now asking us to do the same, to count it all joy. Now, oftentimes we read this and people go, well, you know, I'm not joyous over various trials. He never asked you to be happy about this. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to say, okay, hey, your heart is breaking, uh, hard things are happening to your family, finances are in trouble, marriage is in trouble, relationships are in trouble. Be happy about that. You're not going to find that in the Bible. But he does say, consider it all joy when you face all kinds of trials. Now, how can he say that? There's nothing to be happy about. There's only one thing that he mentions, and he connects. Trials and eventual joy. Consider it all joy. Is joy different from happiness? Is joy sometimes painful? Is there an enduring? Is there a sorrow, as we saw in John 20, before we get to the joy part? So what's the answer here? Look at the connection. When we begin to grasp this truth that joy is a journey and that it's not immediate, we begin to really begin to see other scriptures. Because we begin to see that God is saying, okay, think through this process. Because look at verse 3 there. James 1, 3. What's the first three words? For you know. What, what do you know? That's not rhetorical. What do you know? Considering this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face and meet trials of various kinds. For you know. What do you know? What did, what did we say before was really kind of the root, the grounding of biblical joy? God's purpose and God's provision. Do you know God's purpose and God's provision? You may not know your his purpose in that particular thing, but is God's purpose in your life to mature you, to make you more and more like Christ every day? Is it to, so that you can reflect Christ in you, the very filling of God's Spirit and the power of God's Spirit in your life? We, we know really what the end game is, that more and more and more we would begin to act, think, and react like Christ. And that's what James is talking about here, that we know. What do we know? That God is doing something. Really, kind of a blunt question. How much do you trust the processes of God of doing something in your life? Is that what it comes down to? Let's go back to that first word, consider, count. Why does he use that word? He uses that word because it is something that we have to turn our face, we have to turn our mind, we have to point toward what we know because there's going to be a lot of doubt that comes along the way. Have you as a believer ever wondered if God really cared about you in that particular situation? I mean, in one way, you know with the right answer that God loves you so much that he gave his only son that you would not perish, but that you have everlasting life. We know the right biblical answers, but have you ever been in that darkness of that sorrow and that enduring that we just talked about, that the pain was there? And in that moment, even if it was brief, you just wondered if God really cared. 
or if he was even aware. And all of a sudden, all of our good theology and all these good things that we've learned over the years, all these good truths kind of go out. Why? Because we're not feeling it. Do you ever wish that there was a time in your life that you could just turn on the thinking and turn off the feeling? And yet God made us so wonderfully that we're never going to be able to do that. So what does he t- what does he mean, count it all joy? What does that Greek word mean? It means remember the truth. Remember the truth. Remember the truth. Why? Because every part of your being and all your feelings are going to want to say, now it doesn't feel like you love me. It doesn't feel like you're producing anything. And so I really can't have joy because I really don't know what you're doing as this end game. Even though all we have to do is go back to scripture and know that God is not wasting a single moment. Even in discipline, if we went to Hebrews 12 and we began to see what God, that even God's discipline in our life is a good thing if we're trained by it. So that's why he uses this word. He's not saying, hey, when something really bad happens in your life, just laugh it off. You know, just get a real humorous book and start. No. Count it all joy. Why? Because you know, what do you know? That God is always working his purpose to grow you in maturity and transforming your mind to be more and more like Christ. So let's put it all together. We consider that as we lead our minds, we we turn our minds in the same way that Christ turned toward Jerusalem to do what? To know. To know what? That God has purpose in even those things that can be trying and challenging. And then finally we begin to see that God is is telling us to make a choice. The choice that he says, choose joy. Is joy a choice, biblically. Is it a choice? Okay. I'm going to have to start back on page one. If, uh, yeah. Yes. Is it an easy choice? Are there going to be parts and fibers of our body that doesn't see that it's something good whatsoever, even though we know biblically that God can be using that in our lives. And so what do we do? Let's read it again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Does that mean you're going to be sinless? No, what it means is God's going to equip you through his very spirit and his empowering spirit with truth that when enduring comes, when challenge comes, when the struggle comes, when the sorrow comes, that you're going to be able to say, God, I trust you, that you're working your purposes in my life. I can't see it now. I wish I had a date on the calendar that I could see the end of this and the result of this, but I can have joy even in the midst before I get to the end of that road. Why? Because I know that you're a faithful God. God, You are faithful, and you're working your will, and you're good, and your purposes in my life, and you will give provision. When we begin to grasp that, all of a sudden you can start opening up the Bible, and you're going to see all these verses that really reflect that. For example, 1 Peter 4, 12-13. Beloved, do not be surprised at a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice... 
and so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Don't be surprised when trials come. Rejoice. Have joy. Why? Because you know that God is working His purposes. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Paul says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now look at the challenge of verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Will you choose joys today, this hour? Will that choice be dependent on knowing the end game? He says, consider our joy because you know, you know what? You know that God is good. You know that he's faithful. That he's equipped you for any challenge that's along your way. This isn't positive thinking. This is the truth of God. Because nowhere am I looking within myself for that empowerment to just kind of rise to the occasion. No, I'm running to the cross of Christ. And I'm saying, God, will you fill me with your spirit? Will you empower me with your spirit to have knowledge here and to be able to walk this way? Because it is filled with sorrow or it's filled with challenge or it's filled with whatever else that we looked at there. And some days the only thing that you will have to make this next step forward in joy is the purpose of God and the provision of God, the promise of God. It's all about Him. It's all about being in Christ. That hope isn't that you're just going to become a better person. You're going to dig down deep. Folks, we don't need a self-help answer to the difficulties of life. We need Christ. And he shows us the way. And so this week, you may have a really good week. I mean, we're here in the holiday season. and Things may be rolling your way and things are just really good. If you're in school, you're going, man, five more days and I'm out. If you're a teacher, you're going, five more days and I'm out. You know, there's a lot to be happy about. But if you're in the midst of a struggle, if you're in the midst of sorrow, if you're enduring right now, you're enduring something, know that God has made this promise. Choose joy. But pastor, I don't know how it's going to end. It could really end bad here. Choose joy. How do I do that? Because you know, you know what? That God is faithful. And, and that he's working his promises and he's working his purposes in your life. My prayer is that we would go from this place choosing joy, not knowing what's ahead of us this next week. Because when we're choosing joy, we're putting our total faith in God. Not in circumstances, not even in our own abilities, Replacing everything that we know in His righteousness, His goodness, His ability. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we see scripture after scripture, text after text this morning, Father. Different illustrations, Father, of Christ Himself, of the Apostle Paul, of James. Father, you have all these New Testament writers writing about this thing called joy in the face of trials and tribulations and enduring and sorrow. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that we would not just gather this information, that we wouldn't just acknowledge that joy is the right choice, but, Father, that today our minds would be transformed to personalizing that truth, 
in that Father this day, whether we're in the midst of that fire, or Father, whether uh, it's yet to come, that we would be able to say, I consider it all joy. I'm not happy about it, but I consider it joy. Why? Because I know that God is working, transforming, maturing, making me more like Christ as I have to lean totally dependently upon him. Father, lead us to you this morning. You are our hope. And Father, as we celebrate Christmas this year, you personified that hope, Father. You clothed yourself in that hope. And you dwelt among us so that we would see that right before us. You brought every theological truth into being and you walked this earth. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. Now, Father, we pray that you would just work in our lives as we pray all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.